Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Finishing up the book of Haggai today. Haggai chapter 2. Are you liking the uh, old, old, old Testament prophet studies we've been doing? I, I, I find it very interesting and very um, a good thing. I find it to be a good thing. Um, so I hope it's blessing you as we're going through this and we're looking at this. Uh, Haggai chapter 2 is talking about the glory of the second temple, starting with verse 1 down to verse 3. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jebedak, Jehazadak, excuse me, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw the house of the former the house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not in your eyes as nothing in comparison now the seventh month on the 21st day of the month was uh, the message came in october of 520 B.C., so sometime in October. It was a feast time in Israel celebrating both the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, if you have any opportunity uh, to get online somewhere, look up, the, look up the, any kind of study on the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. It's really, really interesting on how that how that came about and just um, how that, what all the symbolism is of those two feasts. Haggai spoke from some 66 years after the temple was destroyed. Certainly, there were some old men who had seen Solomon's temple in its splendor. So 66 years, so, so, so in 66 years, I'll probably be gone, but the younger kids, the my kids and Maybe even Wayne, in 66 years, would be able to see something. Like, well, you know, drive by down in a town nearby and say, well, I remember when this was here and that was here 66 years ago. But that's what he's going into. He's going, well, 66 years ago, they would have seen Solomon's temple, and Haggai is bringing it to their remembrance. Ezra 3, 12 and 13, describes what those who had seen the first temple felt like 16 years before the prophecy of Haggai when the work of rebuilding the temple was first begun. So we'll read that. It says, But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept 
with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. The men of Ezra 3 wept because they saw this temple in its former glory. When Solomon built the first temple, he spared no expenses and materials and hired the best talent he could find to do the work. The temple was built, the, the, temple, the temple to be rebuilt couldn't match the majesty of the first temple. So that's why they were crying. They, they remember what it looked like before and the rebuilding of it was nowhere near what it once was. And so that kind of happens in our lives. You know, you, you remember a lot of what things used to be, a lot of things and how they were. I mean, I go through my own life and I think about um, how, how life used to be when I was younger. And you think about, boy, that, that's certainly different. We have this standing joke in our family that, you know, I'm almost 50 and my brothers are in their upper 50s and 60s and we have this standing joke at the, at the reunions, you know, where we were in our teens and whatever and my dad was in his was in his 50s and I'm like well dad and them are old and now we're the old guys you know we're the old ones that the kids don't want to hang around with you know so it's one of those things where you remember those kinds of things and how simple it was and just you look to it I think somewhat in our day and age anyway with rose-colored glasses but it was simpler and that's kind of what's going on here. The, they remembered the former glory. They remembered the things that were good about it. They remembered all of that stuff. And it's, it just doesn't compare. These kind of comparisons between the, two, between the good old days and the present day or between the work of God in various places and times are rarely beneficial. It didn't do the people of Haggai's day any good to think of how magnificent Solomon's temple was compared to their own rebuilding work. Charles Spurgeon says, This is the smallest of our gifts, may be a temptation to us. We are consciously so weak and so insignificant compared to the great God and his great cause that we are discouraged and we think it vain to attempt anything. The enemy contrasts our work with, with that of others and with that of those who have gone before us. We are doing so little as compared with the other people, therefore let us give up. We cannot build like Solomon, therefore let us not build at all. Yet, brethren, there is a falsehood in all this. For in truth, nothing is worthy of God the great works of others and even the amazing productions of Solomon all fell short of his glory. So, we can do the best work we can do and we can have the best life as, as young people and then sit back in our 50s and 60s and think, boy, well, this was the good old days. Or, you know, or, or boy, you know, I was able to do this and I built this and I can't do that anymore. But even at our best day, we don't compare to God's glory, to God's great glory. We fall short. Another great author, A.W. Tozer, suggests we pray a prayer. He says, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete 
with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts, very well. That is not their own power nor in mine. I am, I am humbly grateful for their greatest gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use, may, may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any nor try to build up my self-esteem by note, noting where I may excel one to or another in thy holy work. I henceforth, henceforth, make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually un underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed... It is my own, if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine, and while, while one plants and other waters, it is thou along that givest the increase. So a mindset, a change of a mindset. Why, why do we feel, and we do, we feel as though that we are lacking in something or somebody is better than us because they have more success or more money or more a better house or a bigger congregation or what what are they doing this so why why are they have so much what are they doing so differently i can remember in one time in my ministry i was asked i came from a small congregation so i was asked to go to a large church and go to this large church for a month and Infiltrate and find out what they were doing to have the success so that we, I, I could bring that back and we could have the same success. That wasn't appropriate. God gives successes as they are. Large congregations have their successes and smaller ones have theirs. But yet God is in it. God understands it. God knows where we are. God knows where, as individuals, we stand. And we shouldn't be uh, be 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 rating the fact that we are different than someone else. We should rejoice in the fact that someone is doing better at a job than we are, or having a bigger congregation congregation than we do. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. It's not about United Brethren versus Baptists or United Brethren versus Catholic or. Baptists versus Pentecostals, or it's not about that. It's about we're all on the same team. Therefore, we should rejoice when God moves. Amen. Verse 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Zo Je Jehozak. Jehodak. When I was younger in the Lord, we'd say, that guy. Because <laughs> he couldn't pronounce it. The high priest, be strong. All you people of the, of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, according to the co covenant 
that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Be strong and work and do not fear. That's what you're supposed to get out of those two things. Be strong and work and do not fear. Be strong. Not just physically strong, emotionally strong, spiritually strong. Be strong and work. Do the work of God. Do the work that God wants you to do. No matter if you work outside your home or you are homebound. Do the work in which God has called you to do and do not fear. Do not fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. Amen? He's not given us a spirit of fear. God gave the leaders and people of Israel three clear commands. Each of these three were essential to getting the work of God done. Three things are not accomplished without action. These three things are not accomplished without action. You've got to be strong. You can't be weak spiritually. You can't be weak physically. You can't be weak emotionally. If God is calling us to do something great. We've got to be strong in Him. We cannot, we cannot shrug off the work. Work. Anything worthwhile takes work. All of us here that have kids can say, that's a lot of work, but it's worth it in the end. Anything that's worthwhile creates work, and we should work, and it's worth the work. And do not fear. If God is calling you or calling us as a group down a certain path, and we know it's God, and we know it's His Spirit, and we know that He wants us to go this direction. Do not fear. Do not fear, because He is shepherding us in a direction that will bring great things. Fear causes us to hesitate. Fear causes us to not move. You ever, hear, you ever hear somebody say when they're, when they're afraid they freeze up? Fear will cause you to freeze up and you won't do anything. Do not fear. When God calls us to do something, do not fear, but trust and walk in Him and He will see us through. The same God that did great things in the past was among them today and so they could be encouraged the same God that did great things in the Old Testament, that did great things in, in Moses' day, and did great things in, in King Solomon's day, the, that great God is still this great God we serve today. We read about the miracles of the Old Testament and the miracles of the New Testament, and we think, boy, those are good things to remember. Well, guess what? They can still be today. The Bible says He does not change he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he has not changed, then the miracles that he, can, that he did in the Old Testament and the New Testament can still be done today. It can still be done in 2023. If God does not change, then who has? We have. We have let fear creep in. We have let doubt creep in. We have let things in our life creep in. 
And God says, don't fear. Be strong and do the work. Do the work. Verses six through nine. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and earth, the sea and the, sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill the house of, with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in the place I will give, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Everything is God's. Everything is his. Well, there's gold. That's my gold. Silver, that's my silver. It's all God's. And if we walk in his ways, if we do that which he has called us to do, he will, in fact, bring us peace and glory and joy because we have trusted him. You know, we might think, you know, we've got kids. I've got kids. Brenda's got kids. Jim and Sandy's got kids. Ruth's got kids. Those are my kids. No, they're not. They're on loan from God. They're his. And it's what we do with them. It's how we raise them. It's how we, how we teach them. Everything we have is on loan from God. This building is on loan from God. These pews are on loan from God. It's all his. He gives us an opportunity to do something with them, but they're all his. They're his. This is the the only portion of Haggai the only portion of Haggai quoted in the New Testament Hebrews 12:26 and announces God's intention to shake the present order of his coming day of judgment. So things will be shaken up. Sometimes we need to get shaken up a little bit. Don't we? Shake us up. It's a comfort zone issue. Shake us up. Bring us out of our comfort zone. Bring us out of our comfort zone that we might be better than we once were. God, shake us up. That should be our prayer. Shake me up, God. Make me better than I am right now. The true desire of all nations is Jesus. Even if the nations themselves don't, do not know it, he is the one, the true reformer, the true re rectifier of all wrong. And in this respect, the desires of all nations. Oh, if the world could gather up all her right desire, if she could condense in one cry all of her wild wishes, if all true lovers of mankind could condense their theories and extract the true wine of wisdom from them. It would just come to this. We want 
an incarnate God, and you have got the incarnate God. O nations, yet we know it not. Ye in the dark are groping after him, and know not that he is there. Charles Spurgeon said that. Charles Spurgeon said that. Knowing that Jesus is the desire of all nations also encourages our missionary work. Knowing that he's the desire of all nations encourages missionary work. If he's our desire, we are called to be witnesses, to share his love, to share his peace, and also to bring him to others, to witness. The Bible says he, he, we will we'll be our witness, we'll be his witnesses. So a lot of people that are missionaries feel this call to witness, feel this call to bring this love of God to other people. What a great thing. What a great thing to know. We know Shannon and Becky are in the mission field. We know that Frank Yang uh, oversees UB Global. All these people that are, that are in the missions work do it because they have this desire to share Jesus with others and to bring him to other nations because he is the true desire of the nations. The lesson is plain. Knowing, God's, knowing God provides should make us more generous instead of less generous. Knowing you provide should give us more generosity. Why? Because if, we, if, if he is all our provider, our provision, then we know he's, got, he's looking out for us. We can give of our time and God will give us more time. We can give of our talent and God will replenish our talent. God, we can give of our finances and God will, re, will replenish our finances. Because he is our provider. He is our provider. He gives us everything we need. We may not feel called to give finances, but we might feel called to give a kind word, to be an encourager. That's still following the word of God. That's still following that generosity. Because the greatest thing anybody ever needs is salvation. Before they need money, they need salvation. Before they need food, they need salvation. People in our lives need salvation. That's the greatest gift we can give them. And if we're generous with that, then God will bless us with much. He says that if we are faithful in the little things, he'll make us faithful in the big things. Amen. And that's one of the big things is sharing his story sharing his love sharing his his grace with other people verses 10 through 14 on the 24th day of the month of the ninth month the second year of Darius the word of the Lord came to came by Haggai the prophet saying Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment 
and touches and, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean by the contact of a dead body touches any of these, will it become unclean? The priest answered, it will become unclean. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people, and so it is with the nation, this nation before me, says the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and, and what they offer, are, uh, there is an unclean. Now, Haggai questioned the priests who were accustomed to answering such questions about their transition of both holiness and impurity. The priests answered correctly according to the law of Moses. Holiness is not contagious, but impurity is, is contagious. So if you think about it in modern medicine, right? If I'm healthy and I go and shake your hand, it's not going to make you healthy. But if I am sick and I shake your hand after sneezing into it, that could possibly make you sick. So impurity is, is contagious, but holiness is not. If you're sick and I shake your hand, you're not going to get better because I touched you. But if I am sick and you're healthy and I shake your hand after sneezing into it, be on the lookout for in the next three or four days, you'll probably be sick. So what he's saying here is impurity is contagious in every aspect. Impurity of mind is contagious. We can hide that, but soon it will come out. And there will be people that will follow suit. Impurity of action, same way. It'll come out eventually, and people will follow suit. So impurity is contagious. Verse 15. Now consider from this day onward, from before stone, for, before stone was laid upon stone in the, tent, in the temple of the Lord, from those days when one came to a leap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I, I struck you and all the labor of your hands with blight and mildew and hail. Yet you did not turn, on, turn to me. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid, consider... Is the seed yet in the barn? As of yet, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Now, God's encouraging them. He's going to bless them because they follow, because they should be following God will bless us if we follow. 
God blesses righteousness. He does not bless sinfulness. God blesses the righteous. God blesses righteous behavior. He does not bless sinful behavior. I will submit to you today that God does not even bless the behavior that we do in his name that is not called of him to do. If we are doing something, if we are ministering to someone that God has not called us to minister to, there's a pretty good possibility and there probably, it's probably 100% possibility that God will not bless that. You know why? You might say, well, well, we're doing what God wants us to do. Why wouldn't he bless it? Because God calls us to do something. And we say, well, I don't want to do that. I'll go do this instead. I don't want to talk to this guy. I'll go talk to this other person. Or I don't want to... Um, be here with this person. I'll go minister to this other person and expect God to bless it. There's no guarantee God will bless it because God's already called us to do something. And if we're doing our own thing, that's selfishness, right? That's selfishness. God will not bless selfishness. If we're called to do something, God wants us to do and we do something else that's not that's not of God. God promised blessing to his people if they put their priorities back in order with him and with with his work first. Nevertheless, the blessings might not come immediately and he did not want them to become discouraged but to trust that from this day I will bless you. So, Priorities back in order with him and his work first. So that's why I can say God will not always bless or will not bless something you do in his name that he's not called you to do. It's his work first. Be aligned with him first. So if you are doing something that is not he's not called you to do, but you say, well, it's the work of God, he probably won't bless it. You remember that story in the New Testament? In, in, in days they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, didn't we do this in your name and do that in your name? And he'll look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. That tells us that if we don't follow the exact will of God, the exact, and put him his priority first and his work first, he will not bless us. He will not bless us. Amen? Last two verses. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. 
the horses and the riders that will come down every one of the, every one with the, by the sword of his brother. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. It was easy for the returning exiles to feel insignificant in the world as if they were just pawns or spectators. God wanted them to know that though they were small in the eyes of the superpowers of the world, they were servants of God of all power, and they were not, and they are on the winning side. So, we might feel small and insignificant compared to other people. But God calls us and tells us to understand that we are on his side. We are winning. We're on the winning side. We might feel insignificant, low down, but we're walking with God and we're on his side. He's on ours. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? Remember that. If God be for us, who can be against us? If we are following in his way, if we are walking, we've put our priorities straight and his work first and his will first, he is with us. And if he is with us, who can be against us? No one. No one. Even though we feel small and insignificant, he is with us. We're on the winning side. So don't give up. What do we get from this? Don't give up. Keep going. Keep walking. Keep working. For I have chosen you. Remember this part. This is good. For I have chosen you. Zerubbabel was truly chosen by God. In the ancestry of Jesus, Zerubbabel was the last person to stand to, to, stand to be, be in both the line of Mary, the blood lineage of Jesus, and Joseph, the legal lineage of Jesus, through Joseph. So, he has chosen Zerubbabel for a greater purpose, to be in the bloodline of the Messiah. But God has still chosen you. It isn't, we are not Christians because we love God. We are Christians because he loved us first, and we reciprocated that love and accepted him. That is why we're Christians. He has chosen us. Have we chosen him? Because Zerubbabel was the last, was a descendant of the last legitimate king of Judah, he could be legitimately recognized as the ruler, though not king of the returning exiles. So Zerubbabel chosen by God, was the rightful, legitimate king. So what does that say to us today? God chosen us, has chosen us. So we are legitimate in God's eyes. We are legitimate. He has chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen me. We're not illegitimate. Because he's chosen us, we are legitimate in him. 
Amen? So, what is your work for this week? Realize something. That God has chosen you. God has given us worth. And see where our line, our, 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 um, see if we've got our priorities straight. Is God first in our lives? Or is he second? Or third? Or fourth? Or fifth? Is his will paramount and first in your life? If it isn't, repent. But if it is, keep going. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to know that we are legitimate. We are chosen by you. Help us each day to choose your will, to choose you, to choose your purposes in our lives, and minister to us by your Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would touch and bless each and every person that's here. Touch their conversations they'll have this week. And Lord, be with them as they go, out, go about their daily business every day this week. And Lord, continue to be with us as we, Lord, go on this day. Touch our bodies where healing is needed. Touch our spirits where healing is needed. Touch our hearts where healing is needed that our priorities and our will would be aligned with yours. And Lord, we thank you for that and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.